welcome onto the podcast, John. It's a pleasure to have you here. So uh, just for the audience, why don't you let them know who you are and what do you do? Okay. Uh, I'm John Petrie. Uh, we live in Salisbury, Maryland, uh, which is over kind of near the coast. Uh, I've been in education for 20 years now, the last 15 in private, uh, private Christian school education, both uh, domestically and internationally. And uh, just finished up at Salisbury Christian School here in Salisbury as the head of school. I've been a teacher, an assistant principal, principal, academic uh, head, and now head of school. Uh, and now I'm starting into some branching out into other things, doing some consulting work. Um, in, in the relatively near future, I'll be doing some of that. So uh, trying to get things squared away, get that, get that up and running. Awesome. So in your line of work, um, working with uh, youth, working with parents, and, and you work pretty much K-12, correct? Sure. Um, what are some of the problems that you encounter in education nowadays? Uh, you know, it, it's been really interesting. Uh, watching education is one of those things where you can kind of see a pendulum go here and there, pendulum, pendulum. Every few years you get a pendulum one way, a pendulum other way. I think, and that's been true in public schools. I started in public schools, um, but also in private schools too. So it's kind of one of those where um, a lot of times some of what is right and good doesn't really affect a pendulum. It's it's not, you know, um, I get really I get really worried when I hear people talk about, oh, this new thing, this is the real that's going to be the one that, that helps. Uh, a lot in education is just basic stuff, um, but it doesn't mean there's not any good ideas. And I, I also don't want to go into the realm of we don't ever do anything differently because we just like doing what we've always done. So it's kind of, it's kind of recognizing that tension of, uh, yeah, there's some basic stuff that we want to keep doing, but there's also some good stuff coming down the pipes. You just don't want to just run with every which way the wind blows. Uh, I see that a lot in private and, and public schools. What are some examples of the trends that you think are like, you know, uh, I don't, back when we worked in Korea together, right? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the big trends that was coming at that time was oh, Apple, Apple computers and education, sure. iPads in the classroom or whatnot, right? I mean, that, that would be a trend that uh, we sure. experienced together. How about like, you know, what are, what are some other trends that you're talking about here? Well, that was a good one. And that was a good example of just the whole trend of technology in general. I think schools sometimes get so hung up on the idea of technology and that we have to have the technology. They get a lot more hung up on the what than what is the outcome of student learning. Uh, and we actually, in, in Korea, one of the good things, and you remember the school we were at, we had a lot of money to do a lot of things. It was one of the very well-resourced schools. Mm -hmm. uh, but even um, when we had some space issues, one of the things that we decided was, you know, instead of putting smart boards, interactive whiteboards in every single classroom, we would rather save that money, which we had to use, and do other things with technology that would kind of impact student learning. So we made it a learning focus, not just a what's the gadget. And I cannot tell you every single school I've been at here in the States, with, without exception, they will talk about whatever device they have as we're going to do technology. We're going to have smart boards in every classroom. We're going to, whatever the thing is, it's like, oh, that must be the thing. And Honestly, without a well-thought-out plan for what you're going to do with it, it doesn't matter what the thing is. Um, it doesn't matter what the device is. It doesn't matter, you know, Apple, Chromebook, whatever. Those things don't really matter to me. It's what are you actually going to do that's going to impact student learning in a positive way for your school, K-12. to And so I think, it's, I think it's the whole idea of the technology. I went to a conference one time that uh, years ago, everybody was talking about, oh, we're going to be one-to-one. -one. We're going to be 
on the cutting edge of technology. And uh, the guy who, who spoke, he said, let me ask you a question. How many of you, you know, have got, you're trying to do a one-to-one program and hands went up and he said, oh, you, you're talking about, you're going to be on the cutting edge. And he made a good point of, if what you're telling me today is that you're going to be one-to-one and you're on the cutting edge, I hate to break it to you. You're way behind the curve already. Because in this room of old people, of which I was in, everybody had at least three devices. He said, so if now you're touting you're a one-to-one program, you're already 10 years behind. And that conference was in 2012. So that was even, you know, eight years ago almost from the guy telling us we were behind then. And every school kind of gets in this realm of, oh, technology. We got to have technology. We got to have Chromebooks. We got to have iPads. We got to have this. You don't have to have any of that. What you have to have is good learning. And so that's for me has been the the twist that I've made on every school I've been at is what are you actually going to do? Why do you want the technology? What are you going to do with the technology? How's it going to impact student learning? Because if it's not, save your money and go do something else. Right, right. And I think that's one of the that's one of that's a great point because you know the technology is always changing. But mm-hmm. the bottom line is, you know, what how are students going to learn and yep. how it's going to impact lives, right? Um and just, just for those who aren't really educators by training, what's one-to-one? A one-to-one program is one device for every student. A lot of them do one-to-one laptops or one-to-one Chromebooks or one-to-one iPads. Mm-hmm. Um, there, was a, there was a school down in Florida, the Master's Academy, and they were kind of way ahead of everybody for a long, long time. And they started a one-to-one program. And uh, several years later, they ended up, um, for good reasons, they said, you know, we're just going to do a bring-your-own-device program. So they didn't actually provide it. They said, you can bring whatever you want that's going to help you. Uh, and that's what they use now. Um, and in, in Korea, it was kind of the same thing. We, in Korea, it was funny because we could have afforded to provide everybody a device. We just said, you have to have one to come to school here. But we use computers all day, every day. And our kids, you know, they're going to use them no matter what they do. So there's nothing wrong with it at all. It's just a matter of, how's it going to work in your environment? Right, right. I mean, kids are going to use the technology regardless, right? And you know, eight years ago when we were, when we overlapped in Korea, right, that's, you know, the whole technology in the classroom, social media stuff was, you know, it was just kind of, I wouldn't say it's just beginning by then. It was, it was still in its fledgling stage, like sure. compared to now, right? Yeah. I mean, what, what are you seeing in the classroom nowadays in terms of technology and uh, kids using it in schools? I mean, it, like it, and, and particularly I'm talking about social media in terms of yeah. like, mental health, uh, in terms of like peer pressure or even bullying. What are your observations about that? It's, uh, you know, technology is the blessing and the curse of education in many ways. Uh, the social media thing, it's just nuts. It, uh, you know, at my, at Salisbury Christian where we, where I was, uh, several years ago, they had kind of in an effort to, I think, save money and not have to purchase anything. They said to bring your own device program. Well, what that really meant was kids could bring whatever they wanted. So all of them chose a phone. And so what that meant was we had the school created a system where everybody said, I want a device and my device is going to be my phone. And that was sixth through 12th grade. Wow. And so, and, and, and I will be honest with you. I mean, everybody in Korea had a phone. There was no kid that didn't have even in elementary school. So it wasn't that I was against phones, mm-hmm. but, but the whole social uh, I, I watched over the last several years, particularly in middle schools where a lot of it starts, you know, middle schoolers aren't necessarily equipped to deal with nonstop connectivity to phones and the outside world of internet lands. And when you say that, uh, what do you mean? I mean that, that it's hard. 
middle schoolers are going through so many things in their life right now, changing emotions, changing friendships, changing bodies, changing everything. Um, and, and the other part is, is learning how, when you say something, even though you're just saying it to your friend, or even though you think it's just a joke, it's on a recording somewhere and it's getting ready to go out to everybody that, you know, uh, or, and a lot of people that you don't know. And there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of wisdom in not letting middle schoolers have access to that because more discipline issues in the last probably five or six years in middle school have to do with kids who've not been careful with their words and posting it to their friends, whether it's on Snapchat, Instagram, any of those things. Uh, and I have a, I have a file that I still have full of screenshots of, of, of Snapchats or Instagram posts that middle schoolers have made that were in poor taste, bad judgment, and really ugly, hateful things. And it didn't even register to the kids that they were really doing anything wrong because they were just kidding. And mm. so I've seen middle, they, they, and that's when I talk about middle schoolers in that age range, they're still trying to process what does that mean and what's okay and what's not okay. In the grand scheme of life, John, I think they probably know it's not okay, but it's that whole just kidding thing that's getting them into heaps of trouble with social media in particular. We ended up having to, having to help our middle schoolers not use social media as much. And so we basically said, you can't have your cell phones out uh, during much of the day. We didn't eliminate it, but, and that was a big to do when we did it. And my own kids, I had two middle schoolers at the time. You'd have thought we had told them they have to stick needles in their eyes. They, uh, they were so angry because they couldn't have their access to their phones during the day. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was great. I mean, you know, it didn't, it, it didn't necessarily provide, you know, the, everybody sits around and talks in deep conversations that we were hoping for but at least it just gave one less opportunity for them to get themselves in trouble. Right, right. I mean, you've been in education for a long time now. And before this whole uh, big technology boom, like at least mobile technology about for kids to bring into classrooms. I mean, I don't want to talk. I, wanna, I don't want to talk about like, you know, all the back in the good old days, because, you know, yeah. the good old days is like, you know, oh, it's, yeah. it's way past. Right. <laughs> and let's talk about the now. I mean, but what is from your observation, what was a youth childhood like back then compared to now? Well, there was because it, well, it wasn't that we didn't say things we wish we hadn't have said. Yeah. It was, um, you, you, you were able to sort of have an opportunity to, to talk through that and wrestle through that in a way that didn't get published. And the, the problem now is there's no do overs. That, that's really the big problem. There's no, it's not a do-over where you can't think about it. And boy, I wish I could take that back. Everything is public now. And in, in, in our society, particularly with all of the violence that's happened in schools over the last many years, um, I, I have had to have conversations with families where I totally believe them. I know your child didn't mean it. I know he didn't mean it. I totally believe you. And I forgive you I, as a Christian, but also as a teacher, as an administrator, I forgive you. I still have to give you this super, super difficult consequence because of just the nature of our society right now. And when I was growing up, you just didn't have to do that. You had, you had a lot more uh, leeway as an administrator, but also as a teacher and also as parents to, to work with your kids through experiences like that, uh, that we just don't have, don't have the luxury to do that anymore. Right. And so how do you solve this problem? Like, cause uh, it's, it's a tough problem. It's a very tough problem. Cause you know, there's, if there's like no, there's less leeway to make mistakes, then sure. how do you educate a kid because like a kid 
know, someone really learns only by making mistakes. But if the if the margin of error is so small, how do you how do you do that? Yeah. Some of it, I, I think, has to do with education. I think we as parents and and guilty as charged, sometimes we just take for granted that our kids are going to make good choices, or we just don't want to take the time to invest in, you know, figuring out how to help them use technology in a in a good way. Um, I think that's a that's a big big piece of it is parent and also student education. The the weird the tough part for parents, and this is me walking through that is my kids don't want to hear anything from me about, you know, something they think I don't know anything about, which is technology. And there is a lot I don't know about, but my but what I would say for the the impact that schools can have is my children's teachers or my kids' uh, mentor or somebody at school they can say the exact same thing that I can say, and my kids will listen. And so I think that's a golden opportunity for schools where parents may struggle, even if they have the same idea and the same goal, the schools can have an impact where parents sometimes cannot. And that's because our kids will listen a lot of times to teachers all day and on Sunday before they listen to dad, tell them anything. So I I think that there's an opportunity there for schools in particular is to have those conversations and actually make that social emotional learning. I'm using a kind of a buzzword, social emotional learning, that whole social emotional relationship, you know, figuring out your feelings, all that stuff. Schools have a huge window of opportunity there to help kids starting in young ages, work all the way through that. So kids don't necessarily feel like, you know, I have to say these things over social media because I'm really angry at my friend. Really? Well, what's another way you could do that? We'll have a face-to-face conversation with them and you guys can talk it out. It's like the first thing out of their mouths is social media, social media. And then it's, it's like trying to put the toothpaste back in the toothpaste tube. Once you squirt it out, it's gone and you can't get it back in even if you try. So a lot of, I think it's education. Long way to say, I think it's education. But I will say, and particularly in public schools, private schools are getting that way more. Uh, once they started with the no tolerance policies, that, that hamstrung a lot of efforts. Um, I, I remember many years ago when I was still in South Carolina, one of our friends at church uh, remembered he had a he had a little bitty like a little Swiss Army knife kind of thing in his gym bag, and he took it out and took it to his teacher because he didn't want to get in trouble, and he ended up before the expulsion hearing got expelled because he brought a weapon to school, because they had a zero tolerance policy. It didn't matter that the kid found it and brought it to the teacher, and the teacher would have never known about it, because the kid had it. He got the same thing as the kid who pulled out the knife and threatened somebody. Hmm. zero tolerance was zero tolerance is zero time. And that's, that's more the way school districts are going now is zero tolerance with words, with weapons, with any of that stuff. And I'm not saying they shouldn't have policies, but that's, that's the trend that I see in public education in particular is a lot more zero tolerance. Um, and so while you still can have the education, I, I, there's just, and then I don't have a great solution to what school districts should do. Um, because ultimately school boards are the ones that kind of make those decisions. I would, I would love to be able to have a conversation with them and talk about, here's the challenge. How, how do you, how do you add in an element of let's have some common sense guidelines around these zero tolerance policies? Um, you know, we're trying to do education for our kids and social emotional learning and, and guidance counselors and all that, which is good. Um, I think sometimes teachers and administrators feel like their probably hands are tied sometimes because of zero tolerance policy. So I don't have a great answer to fix it, but I think education is going to be the piece. If we're going to make any headway, it's got to be there. 
Right. I mean, how about for the parents then? From the perspective of the parents, you know, the educators got to do their thing, right? And sure. it depends on the school board, depends on the individual uh, schools, it depends on the administrators and educators at that school. So there's a lot of variables into that. Uh, from a parent's perspective, you know, it's more, there's, there's more they, they can control because um, they're parents. And yeah. so <laughs> what can they do? What can parents do? Right. Well, um, and I think I saw in one of your posts, you know, where you're, where you're talking about, you know, should you just, you're not advocating taking away, you know, totally taking away technology from your kids and saying, that's it, you're banned from technology. The reality is you're never going to be banned from technology because it's around everywhere. So sure, you can ban it, but it's not going to really do anything. I think starting at an early age with uh, healthy conversations with your kids about technology and putting in some boundaries. Uh, one of my kids told me one time that, and they'll remain nameless, but they said, I don't like it when you when you tell me I can't do something or you force me to do something, force an apparent, I'm telling you you have to do this. But at the same time, I need you to do that. And uh, that was pretty that was pretty good for me to hear because there is no element of, oh, thank you so much, Dad, for limiting my technology and making me do this at the time. But that child also recognized that they actually need that. And you don't hear your kids articulate that very often. I've never heard it. That was the only time that I can think of they articulated. It's the same thing for all kids, I think. Kids don't necessarily, they can't necessarily articulate, thank you so much, mom and dad, for giving me these boundaries. What we know, and this is part of me working with kids in schools, is they thrive on, on having clarity and boundaries around whatever the, 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 the deal is. And so I would say the same thing for parents and technology. Yeah, your kids may kick and fuss. And, and boy, you want to get them, make them go watch Screenagers. They'll just, they'll kick and fuss a lot about that. That's, but it's a good documentary. Um, but I would say you need to know that as a parent, it's okay if your kids get angry at you. They're going to, there's lots of things they're going to be angry at you about. Uh, but don't, don't fool yourself into thinking that they won't abuse the technology. I'm using abuse in a little bit of a generic term, but as far as too much time on the screen, yeah, my kid, if I don't, if I don't tell my kids they have to get off the Xbox or on their phone, they will stay on it 24 seven. Yeah. And so some of that, you just have to say as parents. adults too, right? Adults like, you know, get yes. on their device. They, they don't, they have a hard time getting their face off the screen. I mean, absolutely really different from the kids, right? So you just have to start those conversations with your kids and, and even simple things as you know what, no cell phones at the dinner table, no cell, no cell phones at dinner when we're out at dinner. Um, I, I started a little rule with my sister, my son and my daughter of no texting while you're riding in the front seat with dad to school. Um, and it's silly little things, but just trying to, uh, I went to a school, actually, my friend, Tom Postema, uh, remember Tom, yeah, Tom yeah. Michelle Postema, yeah, of course. Tom is head of mustard seed school up in New Jersey. And I went to visit him in Hoboken one time and their little teacher working where you go sit and has lunch, have lunch. It's a technology free zone. You're not supposed to bring your phones to the table to sit down and have lunch with your peers. I thought that was brilliant. But you can do the same thing at home. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. And I think one thing that I'm, I'm observing right now when I, you know, talk to parents is I, I feel like parents nowadays, they're afraid to parent. They're yes. afraid to set boundaries. Like you said, you said like set boundaries. A lot of, I, I find a lot of parents, like I was talking to you, I was talking to one of my friends the other day and, and, uh, and it was like, uh, yeah, so why don't you just tell your kid to like, turn off the tv and then and then and then uh my friend said like well you know uh my you know, my wife likes to treat like the kid as an equal and i'm like what the kid the kid's right. like the kid's like under eight like <laughs> what do you mean equal 
Yeah. We have all these ideologies out there, and I feel like a lot of parents nowadays are just afraid to be parents. They are. They are, and that's a that's kind of a trend I've noticed in the last probably six or seven years, more so, mm-hmm. because I've been doing a lot of admissions interviews with parents and listening to them. And I I, I talked to my friend at another school uh, a month or two ago. He's in Annapolis. I'm here in Salisbury, and we had the exact same conversation. I was with a fourth grade parent. He was with a second grade parent, where the parents both said it was the child's decision whether or not they were going to come to the school. And and but and it wasn't even a golly, do you think this is bad? It was just very matter of fact. Um, and I thought, wow, you're giving a fourth grader who was probably nine or 10, the decision of whether they're going to come to the school. That's a parent's decision. But it's the same thing in technology. And I, and I, I mean, I've got four teenagers now. There are times when you have to pick your battles. I totally get that. I'm not trying to say if you never, and we have to wrestle with that. But what I can tell you is pretty much every single decision that we make for one of my children is a bad one. It doesn't matter what it is. So it's not like, oh, if I make this decision, he'll he'll be better on this other one. No, not not at this point in his life. Every rule that we make, every chore that he gets, every it's always a hassle. So don't I, I try not to get caught up in the well. Maybe if maybe this will be okay. No, he's pretty much at an age, and I was at the same place for many for several years during my teenage years, where it didn't matter what the rule was. It didn't matter. I was going to complain about everything. Uh, right. So don't fool yourself as a parent into thinking that, well, maybe this one will, he'll like this or what. No, there's a time when your kids, they're just not going to be happy and that's okay. Right. And I mean, it also makes sense, total sense developmentally, because when we're talking about teenagers, right? I mean, their bodies are, have gotten to a stage where their brains are consolidating. They're trying to find themselves. They're trying to develop themselves, become an independent individual. And that's when they start questioning everything. And that's healthy. You're supposed to do that. Absolutely. You're passing that authority to like a eight year old or someone who's like not, not even there yet developmentally. Yes. I mean, what you're, what you're creating is ending, what you end up creating is a lot of uncertainty in the world and making them even less secure. Yes. And so that's, I mean, and, and so that's like, you know, when, when we talk about technology and we talk about parenting, we talk about like having these honest conversations and not being afraid to offend sometimes because of the, because the principle is correct. You yes. know, it's, it's about drawing these boundaries and these boundaries are healthy, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and what I'm finding is a lot of parents are just conflict averse. They're afraid of uh, being a parent or, or, or on the other hand, some of them over parent, right? And then shelter them from everything. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. And you don't want to go down that road either. I see that too. Um, I, I've uh, a lot of the interviews that I have with parents, particularly at Christian schools, parents, parents, um, and this is actually private schools in general, Mm-hmm. Parents' kind of first choice a lot of times is safety. Well, it depends on whether it's, you're just talking about is the campus safe, is this. Sometimes that safety that they think is going to exist is, oh, I don't want my, I don't want my kid to be, uh, you know, hear any bad words or hear any bad things. And I have to help them say, that's not a kind of safety you're going to find just because you go to a Christian school. Uh, that's, like, that's like the bubble that you want to keep your child in. I don't want them to hear about any of this bad stuff they're going to see on TV or hear on TV. Um, and that's just not a reality for us now campus. Okay. I can get there. I, you know, campus safety, background checks and all that kind of stuff, but that whole, put your, put your child in a bubble. That's another going the other extreme on parenting that I, that I, I hope parents, and it's, it's like that. I'm telling you this, like, it's really easy. It's not easy. It's not easy you no. know that it's not easy, it's not easy, but recognizing it's part of the battle. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, I mean, and, and also just the, like, if you put them in a bubble, 
the consequence is they don't develop the resilience. They don't develop the coping mechanisms. And when stuff really hits them in just say they go to college or they go, you know, work, right? When, when, when uh, adversity really hits, they don't, they don't know how to deal with it. And then that becomes another problem. Let's move on to the next question. What do you find to be the most crit- critical success factors for use nowadays? I mean, if you're, to, if you're to be okay in this world and, you know, as a young person in education, uh, you're getting educated and you're navigating life and life is becoming tough with technology and, you know, yep. and standards being raised and then all the standardized testing, fun stuff that people mm-hmm. have to deal with nowadays. I mean, how do you navigate life nowadays? What, is the, what are the critical success factors? Uh, like inside of school or just in life? Just in, well, Both. in school, in school. Well, in school, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it kind of, it kind of goes in phases because you got your elementary, middle, your high school. Um, I think a big one for students and for teachers also is student engagement. Um, and you know, what does that mean? Are they actively engaged in their learning? Are they, do they enjoy being there? And I think a lot of that has to do with the environment that they're in. So a lot of the, a lot of the sort of in my mind of, of students are going to be really successful. Well, first of all, I'll say kids are very resilient. Uh, they're very resilient and they're very tough, even though it doesn't seem like they're tough cause. I've been in many different school environments. Some of them really great. Some of them not so great. Still have outstanding students in every single place. So kids are very resilient, which is good. I'm glad that's the way God made them resilient because sometimes they succeed in spite of us instead of because of what we're doing for them. But mm-hmm. in general, you know, the school has a lot to say about the environment. And so one of the things when I think about student success is uh, K through 12 is are we creating a safe environment for them? Safe meaning socially and emotionally. Uh, that right now seems to be the biggest thing that that kids K through 12 are, are struggling with is sometimes the emotional well-being of themselves and their friends. Now, Again, I, not that that didn't exist when I was in school. I'm sure it did. Um, I, I don't know why it seems to be a lot more now, other than some some things we've done well and things we haven't done well. But I think this, I think in the school anyway, you have to be purposeful in setting that environment so kids can come in and be successful. So even in elementary, middle, and high school, and it looks different in every place. Um, I think in middle school uh, and high school, there needs to be a more personal, thoughtful approach from sort of everyone. In elementary, it's almost always personal and approachable. I mean, it is always, that's sort of the nature of it. That's one of the reasons I love elementary. Um, middle school and high school, sometimes not so much, but I, I think there has to be a purposeful uh, effort on the part of the teachers, the administrators, and the organization itself. How, what are we? What programs and plans are we putting in place that we can actually reach out to these kids, these students, these young men and women, um, that's going to make this feel like it's a safe place for them to be? Because you don't know the environments they're coming from. Um, and, and it can be chaos, but you want the chaos to stop the minute they walk through the door. And so I, I think that's a part, that's a huge thing that schools can do, that even if home life is not really great, they can help with that. So part of that is uh, that can also lead to the student engagement piece, I was going to say, because if you've set the environment, a nurturing, safe environment, uh, the kids are automatically more predisposed to learn whatever it is you're trying to teach them. Uh, and so I think student engagement, they'll be more apt to learn. They're more apt to want to learn. And if you are the one who is making the place safe for them, they're going to go like gangbusters to, to do what you want them to do. Um, and so, 
you know, kids, I've, I've been fortunate to work with kids in many, many different environments uh, from very, very poor inner city, terrible home life to extremely very wealthy who have personal drivers that take them to school every day. Um, all the kids want that same thing, though. They want to feel nurtured and safe environment, K through 12. So, uh, yeah, uh, let me see what else. I think from a teacher perspective, part of that is helping. And this is a hard part about being a teacher nowadays. Not that it hasn't always been hard, but um, teachers, my experience has been, you've got to provide an environment where teachers feel safe to go outside the box, try something new and to fail. Uh, it's really strange when I have to tell teachers I want you to try something and then if it fails really bad, they're always heartbroken and I come and say, great job. Let's figure out what we can do to do it better the next time. Uh, they don't want to fail. It drives, it's, it's like something within them that's it's like seeing an F on your report card means you failed. No, teachers need to be able to fail, need to try something different uh, because our kids are going to see that failure and they can take it one of two ways. Wow, Miss Smith, Mr. Jones, he, this was a big fat flop for him. How did he recover from it and do it differently? And, and was he okay with failing? Because if it's not okay if we fail, it's not going to be okay if your kids fail. And sometimes our kids are going to fail, even though they gave their best effort. Well, if you've made it a miserable experience in your, as a teacher, they're going to be crushed. Um, so I, I think giving the finding the freedom for teachers to fail, yeah, it's important. Uh, the last thing for me as an administrator, you got to figure out when you need to come alongside and when you need to get out of the way. Uh, you know, sometimes teachers respond differently to supervisors. And my, my kind of my thing was always trying to figure out, does that teacher need me to come alongside them and give them a boost, come alongside them to help, you know, need a kick in the pants, or do they just need me to get out of the way and let them do their thing? It's not easy, but that's what I've always tried to do with teachers and let them go because when you have a great teacher who's doing great stuff, man, give them some, give them a framework and say, go crazy, go within that framework, go do your thing. Mm -hmm. um, so Sounds like it's very much a leadership thing. It comes down to leadership, doesn't it? I mean, because if you're talking about setting the culture, the social emotional culture, uh, to to feel safe, uh, to take risks, and and uh, you know just to empower the teacher and get out of the way. All all these are leadership traits as an administrator. Mm -hmm. Sure. The other th other thing about all these is, it, particularly about the social emotional thing, I, uh, we were looking at, you know, how are we going to reach kids? Our what what specific program or purposeful effort can we put try to reach our kids on a social emotional level first thing you have to realize is it's going to take time and that is one thing that teachers and schools never want to give up is time because i've got to get my time so i can do da, 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 da. i've got to get my lessons i gotta do this or that. i don't have time to do this touchy-feely you know sunshine and rainbows program that you want to do well inevitably if your goal is to reach the kids you're going to have to be able to invest that's a hard thing for school to do, particularly private schools I've seen. You know, I just, we just don't have time where we can fit in a 15 minute advisory group because we've already got this and this and that. I know, I didn't say it was gonna be easy. I didn't say you're gonna have to, you might have to give up something. But if you look at the long-term investment, that's gonna be the best 15 minutes a week you can give a group of middle school kids if you actually sit down with them for 15 minutes a week with a mentor, mm -hmm. that's gold. Uh, but but it is time. And also all of these things, the social, emotional, the engagement, the, you know, the environment, it takes time. 
Um, in elementary, I always tell my teachers, you know, man, classroom management was always looking for. K-12, as far as a professional thing, is classroom management. How do they manage that classroom? And it takes some investing of time in the front part of the year. But if you get it right, then when I come and talk to you in March or April, you're not beating your head against the wall wondering why your kids can't figure out what to do. Uh, but you're in your sometimes in teacher's mind is I don't want to invest the time. I've got to get the lessons done. Put in the time. It's the same thing with relationships with our students. It's well worth the time, effort, and energy. And same with our faculty and staff. You got you to spend the time if you want to make progress. Yeah, and I think right now, nowadays, the I mean, especially with the whole Saradai testing movement, right? Um, I mean, like, especially for, in the public sector, right? If you don't meet these standards, oh, yeah. if, if you fall under, you, know, you, you get cut. Your budget yeah. gets cut, period, right? And for public schools, that's a major problem. I mean, that's, that is a major problem. And, and, and even for, like, you know, standardized tests that don't really, you know, impact your budgeting. So, for example, the PISA test, right? The test that goes across the world, and yep, yep. Uh, and you compare countries or whatnot, or regions. I mean, even even those like parents. I mean, just the schools trying to meet these standards. It really takes away. Like, if they put all the time into lesson planning, it becomes all about the content. But mm -hmm. when we look, even when we think back to our childhoods, we we don't remember the content. We remember the teachers. Mm -hmm. We remember the time they invested in you. You remember yeah, that yeah. emotional connection, right? And I feel like that people work. That emotional people work is being taken out of the taken out of education right now. And, and a lot of times, it's sometimes it's not the fault of the teacher. It's not the fault of the principal. Um, it is just said, this is what you will do. I still remember when I, my last, not my last year, but one of my last years in public schools, I went to a training on uh, some kind of math thing. We've got the new math thing that's going to revolutionize, you know, our school district. It's going to be the greatest thing ever. And we literally watched a video of a guy teaching the math lesson, and it was fifty-five minutes long. And they basically said. Here's how you will teach it. Here's what you will teach. Here's every minute of every lesson that you're going to do every day for 180 days. And your lesson plans are basically done for you because you have to do it this way. And I thought, well, you certainly don't need somebody who's a master's degree educated teacher to teach this. All you need is somebody who can read because there was it. And they laid it out and they said, when we come and observe you, we want to see that lesson right there. And it has to look exactly. And day one is lesson one. Day 180 is lesson 180 and never do anything other than this. And I was just frustrated because I thought, you just took out some of the ability of any teacher to actually figure out what makes these kids tick and potentially modify that lesson and make it even better or take that concept of fractions and tweak it and modify it. So now the kids really do want, no, you don't have, you don't, you're not allowed that. So I, sometimes what you and I are both saying, it's true, it's, but, I get it. It's hard being a public educator right now. It totally is. Sometimes the mandates come down and you don't have any choice. What I will say is I was fortunate to work with some really great principals along the way when I first started teaching. And he knew, several of them, they knew what tests we were going to have. But he also had the wherewithal to say, John, if you can figure out a way to get them to the same place, but it doesn't look exactly the same, do it, man. And uh, that that was a blessing for me because I didn't, you know, he... He took a risk, but it ended up turning into some great teaching uh, and great results for our kids. So I, you know, I, I get it. It's tough sometimes. Right, right. And I, I, I just think in generally, like uh, the whole, like, you know, the example that you raised, the math teacher. I mean, the math curriculum where it's like, you know, you gotta apply it everywhere exactly the same way. 
uh, you strip the teacher of their autonomy, you strip them of their you know, any sense of motivation. It's like, okay, so I'm basically a robot trying to convey this message, right? Um, and and you, like you said, you fail to contextualize it to different students. Like some kids might not even be ready for it. They might not even have the background work for this, right? And so, I, and so, like I feel like just generally, this whole standardized testing thing is also making it really tough. Uh, or, or like not saying standardized testing in general, but like this whole, um, this is exactly how you're going to do it. These are exactly what the measurements are going to be. That's just, it's, it's taxing on the students and, and taxing on the teachers, taxing on administrators. And along with all these social cultural changes, like like we talked about earlier about technology and all that. And, and, and you know, the, the parents, you know, feeling the lack of confidence to be a parent. I mean, there's a lot of things that's attack, I mean, really attacking the next generation nowadays when you when you think about it this way yeah one of the things that i that i will say one of the pluses that private schools can have doesn't mean they have it but they can have is in theory you have the opportunity to do things differently based on what your mission and vision is and it doesn't have to follow that the problem is is that as is over the years as i've seen that even though they have these sometimes have the ability to change it or do it differently you kind of get stuck in that same butt of, well, we're still going to have the test, we're still going to have this, or um, worked at a couple of private schools, and, and boy, the teachers there, I mean, tunnel vision, this way, this how, this it, we do this, and um, I was surprised because I thought, well, wait a minute, you don't have to do that, but it's easy to get stuck in that same mode, so um, it's, a, it's a little bit everywhere, uh, and that's, that's one of the things that uh, I seen a couple of schools where they've decided we want to do things differently it's kind of neat because it's like wow that is different then you see a lot of places i think it's harder for schools to stay in that sort of long term because ultimately if you're a private school it's about how many students are going to come to your door you know if you've got a really cool out-of-the-box program and nobody shows up for it okay well that's i mean it's a great plan but unless you're just funded it's just not going to work and on the flip side with the public school you know, if you had a great public school who had a great idea that that was out of the box, did it, ultimately, at the end of the day, there's got to be some level of accountability that somebody's going to have to take a risk and say, we're going to let this school try to do things differently. There's been some great progress in that. Uh, there's a lot of schools that I see now trying different things. And a lot of, I, I still keep up with public schools in South Carolina and North Carolina, where I spend a lot of time. And there's some amazing schools that are doing some really cool stuff. So I still give them the kudos. I think they're trying to balance. Okay, well then, how do we also do the end of year testing and the, all the other testing that we still make our kids do and still fit in all the neat out of the box things that that our teachers and administrators want? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's tough. I was hopeful that when they came out with Common Core, and I know that's an ugly word in a lot of private schools and a lot yeah. of places, but I was hopeful that in general the Common Core was sort of would at least help everybody kind of get on the same page and say we're not going to dictate like I had the math lesson every day, this, but we are gonna be able to streamline what standards we think should be applicable across the board. Um, and I, I think people just got hung up on like, the politics and the common core, just the words themselves, uh, instead of just about student learning. So I, I'm hopeful that the, you know, schools will keep working and teachers will keep working and administrators will keep working. Ultimately, a lot of times it just gets too much, too much political, you know, much political hot button and it just doesn't change right right i mean how would you i mean what, what were some examples then of you how you tackled these problems in the past 
Well, ultimately it came down to a couple of things. Um, having an administrator or being an administrator to let you do something a little bit different. Um, and I was fortunate to be on the receiving end as a teacher. And I was also fortunate to give that same freedom to teachers once I became a principal. Um, I will say in Korea, one of the things we did have that was kind of good and it was, but it was, it was hard was we actually just designed and created our whole sort of primary years program from nothing. Yeah, it wasn't handed to us. It wasn't. Oh yeah. And it was a pain in the neck to get done uh, because it's time consuming. I mean, it really is time consuming, just hours and hours and hours, but I uh, had a great coordinator uh, shout out to Gita uh, Peterson, but, but it was that collaborative process between the teachers and so what I would say is in a school, you can have that collaborative and some of that comes from administration. Are you setting up a collaborative environment? Are you setting up a, you know, here's your marching orders environment of what do we want our program to look like? Whatever it is, elementary, middle, high school, K to 12 curriculum. If you can have that collaborative process that automatically sort of starts you down the road of more buy-in, you know, what, what do we want it to look like? And, and I've been a part of that in three different schools where we've sort of said, all right, what do we want it to look like? Let's make it look great. Okay, great. What's your idea, your idea, your idea? And we mush it all together uh, and we come up with some pretty cool things. It doesn't mean you get everything you want. And as the principal or the head of school, you also have to recognize that I don't get to write the script. And, and that's sort of tough because I might've done it a little differently or I might've put it this way. You have to give up a little bit of that total ownership to say, this collaborative process is actually going to be really good because the teachers are going to have input and they're going to get to give their ideas and creatively we're going to come up with something really cool. So a uh, long way to say I've, I've been the teacher who had a principal who let me go out of the, and I say out of the box, not out of teaching the grade I was teaching, but just not getting the textbook and the thing and saying day one, here's your lesson day 180. Here's your lesson. Um, I had a fifth grade teacher one time who came to me, Kylie Schwane. I'll never forget it. And she was petrified because she wanted to do something different than what the lesson plan said. Evidently, previously, to, before I got there, it was, you do the lessons and there is no, and she said, could I please do this a little bit differently? And I said, absolutely. That'd be great. That sounds great. Tell me what you're doing. Are you going to keep the same objective? Oh yeah, that's going to be the same. I said, okay, great. Tell me what you come up with. She came back to me two more times just to make sure I was okay if she did something different than that one little thing. And then, I, and then I had other teachers from other grade levels saying, hey, did you tell Kylie she could do something different? Do you think it'd be okay if I would do something that wasn't, it was this tidal wave of ideas. Um, anyway, all that to say, when she actually did the lesson, and I still remember the lesson, it was the greatest fractions math lesson I've ever seen a teacher do in any school ever. And I thought, this is amazing. And I said, you got to come present at the faculty meeting. You got to do this. And that sort of opened up other teachers to say, well, maybe I could try something different. Yes, you could. And they did. And it, it was a beautiful thing. I got to do the same thing when I was a teacher. And I say part of that is just opportunity. You right. got to have a principal in a school who's willing to give you the chance, even if it looks a little bit different. As long as you have something to back up what you're doing, you can't just say, I'm going to do this thing and I have no reason to think it's going to be successful. You have to be able to get your eyes dotted and your T's crossed to say, here's why, here's what's different. Here's why I think it's going to be good. Here's how the learning's going to be great. And as a, as a teacher, I had to do that to my principal, and I would ask the same for my teachers. If you can give me that stuff, why wouldn't I let you try something really cool? Mm -hmm. Right, and that all comes down to leadership, right? So I want to be respectful of your time. Sure. Um, how can we contact you, or where can we learn more about you and what you do? Well, um, 
I have a cell phone and an email right now. That's all I have. Uh, but uh, I'm working on a website right now. My uh, email is jpetrie, which is my first initial last name, at consultjp.org. That will be my domain name. I've worked with a couple of schools. I worked at a school in Houston one time. I worked with a school in New York. I worked at a couple of schools here in Maryland. Um, as far as consulting goes, there's a lot of consultants that you can work with. And um, they're fantastic. There's, and I, I'm, if I'm not the guy, I can point you in the direction of any number of consultants for folks to work with. For me right now, sort of branching out and to, and to kind of figuring out what's going to be my sweet spot, um, I'm a little bit open to anything to try. Uh, and, and right now, anyway, I'm probably the cheapest consultant you're ever going to hire for anything because I'm just starting out and I'm trying to let people know, here's what I'll be happy to help you with. So, and the other thing that I always like to do, I love to visit schools and visit with whether schools or school districts. I'll just come and see what you're doing. Just, just, just so that I can see what somebody else is doing. And I love doing that. And so, uh, love to hear from anybody at any time. Uh, and you too, John, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast. It's pretty cool. And, uh, my, my kids, I just thought I'm going to be on a podcast and they're like, dad. Uh, so I'm going to try to start my own podcast before too long. <laughs> well, I mean, podcast is the, is one of the grow, uh, fastest growing um, social media outlets right now in this, in, in across the world. Right. Uh, along with all the here, like the, the devices like Alexa or whatnot, you can't, you can't always, you know, paste your, paste your, yep. face your phone. Right. So podcasts are booming. That's definitely, uh, I, I would definitely think that's the, the way to go. Um, but also, I mean, just like uh, for your background as a consultant, man, you've, you've been around the world. You've seen a lot of things. You've, seen, you've done public, you've done private, you've done like K-12. You've, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it, it, you would be an asset to for any school to hire. You bring you in and take a look at what they're doing, right? So, well, I hope so. 